Hi everyone, it's John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road. We're a proud part of the 1001 Stories Network, and we like to think of ourselves as caffeine for the curious. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a legend as a story coming down from the past, especially one that is regarded as historical, although not always verifiable. Betsy Ross and the story of her being responsible for making the first American flag is the absolute definition of a legend. Americans have come to love the story of the Philadelphia Seamstress, and for over 235 years we've celebrated and accepted the legend. The American flag is a symbol of pride and the manifestation of all that most of us hold dear about our country. But in recent years, historians have been digging into the story and the family history as passed down through Betsy Ross's grandson, William Canby, and a few of them say that there are just no verifiable facts. The good news for many is that they can't find any facts to dispel the story either. Betsy Ross's flag features 13 alternating red and white stripes and 13 five-pointed stars in a circle on a field of blue. There were a number of different flags made during the early 1770s to express distaste with England's rule. A snake with the words, Don't Tread on Me, and one called the Continental Colors that featured a Union Jack in the upper left with alternating red and white stripes. When American troops raised this one outside of Boston, however, the British, whose flag was a Union Jack, thought the Americans were surrendering. As a result of that, Congress came to the decision quickly that we needed a new flag. On June 4, 1777, they passed the first flag law. It was resolved the first official flag of the United States would feature 13 alternate red and white stripes, that the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field, representing a new constellation. The flag that became the Betsy Ross flag. We know that the credit for the design of the flag goes to Francis Hopkinson, a New Jersey representative to the Continental Congress and signer of the Declaration of Independence. Hopkinson had a strong talent for designing symbols. He played a role in designing the Great Seal of the United States, the Treasury Seal, and even American currency. Betsy Ross's life during those turbulent times in American history was not an easy one. Betsy Ross was born to parents Samuel Griscom and Rebecca James Griscom in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on January 1, 1752, the eighth of 17 children but only Betsy and eight of her siblings survived childhood. After she finished her schooling at a Quaker-run public school, her father apprenticed her to an upholsterer named William Webster. At this job, she fell in love with a fellow apprentice, John Ross, who was the son of Reverend Enos Ross and his wife Sarah Leach, an Anglican priest and assistant rector at the historic city parish of Christ Church. The young couple eloped in 1773 when she was age 21, marrying at Hugs Tavern in Gloucester City, New Jersey. The marriage caused a split from her Griscom family and meant her expulsion from the Quaker congregation. 
The young couple soon started their own upholstery business and later joined Christ Church, where their fellow congregants occasionally included visiting Virginia Colonial Militia Regimental Commander, Colonel, and soon-to-be General George Washington of the newly organized Continental Army, and his family from their home Anglican parish of Christ Church in Alexandria, Virginia, near his Mount Vernon estate on the Potomac River along with many other visiting notaries and delegates in future years to the soon-to-be-convened Continental Congress and the political military leadership of the Colonial Rebellion. Betsy and John Ross had no children. The American Revolutionary War broke out when the two young Rosses had been married for only two years. As a member of the local Pennsylvania Provincial Militia and its units from the city of Philadelphia, John Ross was assigned to guard munitions at a waterfront depot in Philadelphia and was seriously wounded by a gunpowder explosion. The 24-year-old Elizabeth Betsy Ross tried to nurse him back to health, but he died less than a month after the incident. Betsy continued working in the upholstery business, repairing uniforms and making tents and blankets and stuffed paper tube cartridges with musket balls for prepared packaged ammunition in 1779 for the Continental Army. After her husband's death, it is rumored that Betsy Ross volunteered to act as a spy for the Continental Army. There is speculation that Betsy was the beautiful young widow who distracted Carl von Donop in Mount Holly, New Jersey, after the Battle of Iron Works Hill, thus keeping his forces out of the crucial Turning of the Tide Battle of Trenton during Christmas of 1776, annihilating the mercenary Hessians after the famous crossing of the Delaware River. On June 15th, 1777, Betsy married her second husband, Mariner Joseph Ashburn. In 1780, Ashburn's ship was captured by a British Royal Navy frigate, and he was charged with treason for being of British ancestry and naturalized American colonial citizenship was not recognized, and he was imprisoned at Old Mill Prison in England. During this time, their first daughter, Zilla, died at the age of nine months, and their second daughter, Eliza, was born. Unfortunately, Seaman Ashburn died in a British jail. Times were tough during the American Revolution, and a lot of sacrifices were made. During this time in prison, Ashburn, who was nearing death, was befriended by another prisoner, John Claypool, who gave his word to Ashburn that in the event of his death, he would contact Betsy. After the fall of Yorktown, the prisoners were released, and Claypool kept his word. Two years later, in May of 1783, Betsy married John Claypool. The new couple had five daughters, Clarissa, Susanna, Jane, Rachel, and Harriet. With the birth of their second daughter, Susanna, they moved to a larger house on Philadelphia's 2nd Street, settling down to a peaceful post-war existence as Philadelphia prospered, now becoming the temporary national capital of the newly independent United States of America, with the first president, George Washington, his vice president, John Adams, and the convening members of the new federal government and the U.S. Congress. Betsy's husband, John, died in 1817, and she continued the upholstery business for 10 more years. Upon retirement, she moved in with her second Claypool daughter, Susanna, to a section of Abington Township in the then rural Montgomery County outside of Philadelphia. Her eldest Claypool daughter, Clarissa, had taken over Betsy's business back in the city. Nearly a hundred years later, Betsy's grandson, William Canby, told her story for the first time, delivering a paper called The History of the United States to the Historical Society of Pennsylvania. 
According to Camdy, his grandmother's involvement with the flag began in 1776, a year before Congress passed its first flag resolution. He wrote, Sitting sewing in her shop one day with her girls around her, several gentlemen entered. She recognized one of these as the uncle of her deceased husband, Colonel George Ross, a delegate from Pennsylvania to Congress. She also knew the handsome form and features of the dignified yet graceful and polite commander-in-chief, who, while he was yet Colonel Washington, had visited her shop both professionally and socially many times, a friendship caused by her connection with the Ross family. They announced themselves as a committee of Congress and stated that they had been appointed to prepare a flag and asked her if she thought she could make one, to which she replied with her usual modesty and self-reliance that she did not know, but she would try. She had never made one, but if the pattern were shown to her, she had not doubt of her ability to do it. The committee produced a conceptual drawing, probably the one crafted by Hopkinson. Seamstress Ross did not like the design and suggested improvements. Washington agreed with her, grabbed a pencil, and revised the drawing. Canby did not know what these changes were, with one exception. The drawing showed six pointed stars. Seamstress Ross reportedly wanted five points. The committee members said they took too much effort. Canby wrote, Mrs. Ross had once said that this was wrong. The stars should be five-pointed. They were aware of that, but thought there should be some difficulty in making a five-pointed star. Nothing easier, was her prompt reply, and folding a piece of paper in the proper manner, with one clip of her ready scissors, she quickly displayed to their astonished vision the five-pointed star, which accordingly took its place in the national standard. General Washington was the active one in making the design, the others having little or nothing to do with it. When it was completed, it was given to William Barrett, painter, to paint. Canby's words from 1870 continue to tell the story. He, Barrett, had no part in the design. He only did the painting. He was a first-rate artist. He lived in a large, three-story brick house on the east side of an alley which ran back to the Pennsylvania Academy for Young Ladies, which was kept by James A. Neal said to be the best institution of the kind at that time in Philadelphia, and the house is still standing. The committee suggested Mrs. Ross to call at a certain hour at the counting house of one of their number, a shipping merchant, on the wharf. Mrs. Ross was punctual to the appointment. The gentleman drew out of a chest an old ship's color, which he loaned her to show her how the sewing was done, and also the drawing painted by Barrett. Other designs had been prepared by the committee, and one or two of them were placed in the hands of other seamstresses to be made. Betsy Ross went diligently to work upon her flag, carefully examining the peculiar stitch in the old ship's color, which had been given her as a specimen, and recognizing, with the eye of a good mechanic, its important characteristics, strength, and elasticity. The flag was soon finished, and Betsy returned it, the first star-spangled banner that ever floated upon the breeze to her employer. It was run up to the peak of one of his ships lying at the wharf and received the unanimous approval of the committee and of a little group of bystanders looking on, and the same day was carried into the State House and laid before Congress with a report from the committee. The next day Colonel Ross called upon Betsy and informed her that her work had been approved and her flag adopted and he now requested her to turn her whole attention to the manufacture of flags, and gave her an unlimited order for as many as she could make, desiring her to go out forthwith and buy all the bunting and tack in the city, 
and make flags as fast as possible. Here was astounding news to Betsy. Her largest ideas of business heretofore had been confined to the furnishing of one or two houses at a time, with beds, curtains, and carpets, and she had only recently been depressed with the prospect of losing much of this limited business by reason of the high prices of materials and the consequent retrenchment by citizens in luxuries that could be dispensed with. She sat ruminating upon her sudden good fortune some minutes before it occurred to her that she had not the means to make the extensive purchases required by the order, and therefore she would be utterly helpless to fill it. For these were the days of cash transactions, and such a thing as a poor person getting credit for a large amount of goods was altogether unheard of. Here was a dilemma. What was she to do? Like many others, she began already to doubt her good fortune and to dash her rising hopes with the reflections, This is too good luck for me. It cannot be. Rising superior to this, however, she said to herself, We are not creatures of luck. Have I not found that the good one has never deserted me, and he will not now? I will buy all the bunting I can, and make it into these flags, and will explain to Mr. Ross why I cannot get any more. He will, no doubt, give orders to others, and so I shall lose a large part of this business, but I must be satisfied with a moderate share of it, and grateful too. So she went to work. Scarcely had she finished her cogitations when Colonel Ross re-entered the shop. It was very thoughtless of me, he remarked, when I was just here now, that I did not offer to supply you with the means for making these purchases. It might inconvenience you, he said delicately, to pay out so much cash at once. Here is something to begin with, giving her a hundred-pound note, and you must draw on me at sight for whatever you require. Mrs. Ross was now effectively set up in the business of flag and color-making for the government. Through all her afterlife, which was a long, useful, and eventful one, she never knew what it was, to use her own expression, to want employment. This business, flag-making for the government, remaining with her and in her family for many years. As a side note to William Canby's account, her later daughter, Mary Young Pickersgill, made the famous Star-Spangled Banner of Fifteen Stars and Stripes in 1813, begun at her house and finished on the floor of a nearby brewery, delivered to the commander of the fort the year before the famous British attack of September 12th through 14th, 1814, on Fort McHenry in Baltimore during the War of 1812. Receiving a government-issued receipt for the work of two flags, a large 30-by-42-foot garrison flag and a smaller storm flag, then seen by Francis Scott Key, and which inspired him to write the poem which later became the National Anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner. Pickersgill's small 1793 row house is still preserved in East Baltimore's Old Town neighborhood at East Pratt and Albemarle Streets, and is known as the Star-Spangled Banner Flag House. Despite the accuracy, or not, of the historical legend, the Betsy Ross Bridge connecting Philadelphia with Pensacola, New Jersey, across the Delaware River, is named in her honor. On Saturday, January 30, 1836, Sixty years after the Declaration of Independence, Betsy Ross died at the age of 84. The Betsy Ross House is one of the most visited tourist sites in the city of Philadelphia. If you've never visited that restored part of the city, 
"'We highly recommend that you go. "'Walk in the cobblestone alleys "'that run between the original dwellings, "'including her house, "'gives you a feeling "'that you've stepped back in time "'into American history. "'Betsy Ross still represents "'the can-do spirit "'that so well defines America, "'and the legend of her meeting "'with Colonel Washington "'to discuss how she would craft "'America's first flag "'is one that will always be cherished. "'That can-do spirit "'that Americans have is often overlooked, but it has led to America being the most powerful and innovative country on earth, one which cares for other smaller nations in trouble, one that preserves peace and freedom all around the earth, and one that offers tremendous opportunity to those who want to share in its customs, show pride in their country, and respect its laws and its constitution. America is the greatest country on earth, and Betsy Ross knew it. We hope you enjoyed our story of Betsy Ross. To hear our other podcasts, join us at our new website at 1001storiesnetwork.com. That's 1001storiesnetwork.com. If you are using the 1001 app, we apologize, but it has been discontinued. We now have four shows, the newest one being 1001 Radio Days, which we're still trying to bring on live at iTunes. If you have Alexa, you can ask Alexa, Alexa, Play the podcast 1001 Radio Days, and you'll get it. The same goes for Alexa. Play the podcast 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Or Alexa, play the podcast 1001 Stories for the Road. They're all working fine. If you would like to submit new story ideas or comment on our podcast at 1001storiespodcast at gmail.com. And please send those reviews to 1001 Stories for the Road, you Apple listeners. We appreciate it very much. That's 1001 Stories for the Road at Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Safe driving, everyone. See you soon.